If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and turn to John chapter 3. I am so excited about this new series we're beginning today. In fact, I hadn't been this excited about a series since the last one we preached, okay? And uh, I introduced this whole concept of the Kingdom Project to our staff earlier this week. We have twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring, uh, we set aside a day to intentionally pray and typically we'll worship together and uh, really just get on the same page as it relates to mission and vision, making sure that we're all going in the same direction so that we can lead you as a church in the same direction. And uh, that's what we did this week. And if you've been here for any amount of time, when we get together and talk about mission and vision, we introduced a statement to you. You saw it in the video, what we call a focus statement. I'll put it on the screen for you. And essentially what we say is champion for us advances the kingdom by making disciples. And this statement is meant to be a filter through which we prioritize our ministries and even our funding. Are we doing this? Champion Force advances the kingdom by making disciples. That's focus priority number one. Loving our community. That's a focus priority number two. And strengthening the church. Focus priority number three. This series that we're going to be in for the next seven weeks is all about highlighting the first part of that statement, that champion force advances the kingdom. What do we mean when we use this word kingdom? It's not the kingdom of champion force. This world doesn't revolve around us, and our calling as a church is not simply to expand our influence. Now, we know to whom much is given, much is required, and God has blessed us as a church. And so we, of course, want to use our resources, both from a people standpoint and a money standpoint, to bless others and to serve others. We want to leverage everything in us. We know eternity is at stake in people's life. And so we want to leverage everything that we are so that we can, as a church, influence and expand and grow. That's part of the strengthening the church, that third focus priority. But ultimately, it's not about us. It's not about growing our little kingdom here in Northwest Houston. It's about the kingdom of God. And that's what the title of the message is today. If you're taking notes, as I always encourage you to, it is the kingdom of God. Now, I first had the idea to preach a message series like this way back in 2013. If you don't believe me, I brought a picture of my journal to show it to you. From 2013, you can't read my writing up there, but it says 6, 17, 13. And I have circled there and highlight the Kingdom Project. I was in Romania. I was actually flying into Romania, and as I was looking out the window of the airplane, I saw homes spread across the landscape as far as the eye could see. And as we were going there on mission, uh, I just began to be burdened about how the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that Jesus died for our sins and was raised on the third day, how are all these homes spread across this landscape, how are they going to hear this good news? Now, I knew we had TV and radio and internet and a lot of people putting uh, you know, their messages out there and there's access to the gospel. I also know that there are missionaries and there are pastors and there are church planners. But even then, even then, uh, with all of these good resources and all of these people and all of these churches, even then, uh, there were just too many people to reach. And so how could we ensure that they all heard the message of Christ? How could we all ensure that they 
could hear this news that God created them and has a purpose for them. And it was in that moment that uh, the Lord just began speaking in my heart and impressed upon my heart that the solution to getting the message of Christ, not just to every single person in Romania, but every single person in Houston, Texas, every single person in your neighborhood, at the school that you go to, the office complex that you work, the solution to getting the gospel to them, are you ready for this? Is you. It's me. And that's what the Kingdom Project is all about. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than he did any other topic or subject in scripture. And so we're going to define what the kingdom of God is in this series. We're gonna discuss what our role as not just a church, but as individuals are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom project, really more than a series to preach, is a dream. And I'm asking you today to dream with me. What would it be like if every member of Champion Forest woke up every single day and there was just this intense desire that God births in your heart to do what our focus statement suggests, and that is to advance the kingdom of God. What would it look like if every single member of Champion Force began to pray kingdom prayers? And we're going to talk about what that even is uh, during this series. What, what would it look like if you used your gifting, your passion? Your education, the skills God has entrusted to you, what would happen if you discovered your kingdom purpose and lived with this mission to advance the kingdom? I believe on a personal level you would experience the abundant life that Jesus talked about. And I also believe that in the process we could transform not just our lives, but communities and everywhere we go as we seek to live on this mission. And so I want us to start today by defining what the kingdom of God is. Uh, let me give you some ideas. Graham Goldsworthy, an Anglican theologian from Austria, he summarizes the kingdom of God as this. It's God's people and God's place under God's rule. Robbie Gallaty, pastor buddy of mine in Tennessee, he says, the kingdom of heaven, and you need to know that whenever you see in scripture the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they're used interchangeably. We're talking about the same exact thing. The kingdom of heaven is the work of God in the world through kingdom citizens. It's not just a realm to enter, but also a ruling of God over our present life. Rene Padilla, a theologian from Ecuador. The gospel is the good news concerning the kingdom. And the kingdom is God's rule over the totality of life. I'll give you one more. Jeremy Treat, pastor out in California. God's reign through God's people over God's place. And you'll see a hint of all of these definitions as we go on today. If I had to summarize it in a working definition, say, what, what, put all of those together, here's what I would say is the kingdom is the realm of God's rule and reign through his people. Now, as mentioned, uh, Jesus speaks more about the kingdom than any other topic or subject that he addresses. In fact, most of his teachings, 
that we have on any subject is related in the bigger context of him teaching about the kingdom of God. His ministry, earthly ministry, is bookended in this way. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, from that time, as Jesus began his earthly ministry, preaching and teaching and healing, look at what the Bible says. He began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand. He concludes his earthly ministry in Acts chapter 1. You, you, you read his life and you see his teachings through this lens of the kingdom. It's all that he talked about. It's what his people wanted. It's what the disciples were looking for. And so when Jesus is raised from the dead, uh, he's about to ascend back to the Father. The disciples are there and they asked Jesus a question. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This had been their focus. Is, is the kingdom starting right now? And Jesus answered, And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, you are to extend my rule and reign through the whole earth. And then he's taken up before them and ascends to the Father. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand that there is an already not yet element to this, what we're talking about. Theologians call it an inaugurated eschatology, meaning that the, the, the end has already began or begun, however you say that, all right? The end's already started, okay? And let me put this on the screen for you. I'll put it like this. The kingdom of God existed in eternity, okay? The kingdom of God was initiated At the first coming of Jesus, that's what he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus. Kingdom of God, it was, it was, it it, it, it started, right? I mean, it's happening. And then it will be consummated at the return of Jesus. This is what I mean when I say there's an already not yet element to the kingdom. It existed for all of eternity. Daniel chapter four, verse three says, the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It was initiated at his first coming. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and the Pharisees, again, in the context of the scripture, they were looking for the coming kingdom of God. And so they asked, Jesus a question in Luke 17 verse 20 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come Jesus answered and said the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed nor will they say look here it is or there for behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you it's initiated right now Jesus saying it's right in front of you it was inaugurated at his resurrection the resurrection of Jesus vindicated his teachings He is who he says he is. He is the risen Savior, the Lord of all, sovereign over the universe. And his kingdom expands as we, his kingdom citizens, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment, go through the whole earth testifying to his kingship. Now, the kingdom will be finally and fully complete. Already, not yet. It will be consummated at a future day, whenever Jesus returns. And I wanna read you this passage of scripture because this is what it's going to be like when his kingdom is finally and fully here. 
Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Very important terminology we'll come back to. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It is a future reality that has not yet happened. That the ultimate kingdom that we will live in will not be up in the clouds, but rather God is bringing heaven to earth. And we will live and rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever. You know, I have a confession to make. As I've read the Bible all of these years, and you, you will not be able to read it if you read it through the lens of this kingdom of God being not just in the future, But here and now, because I'm guilty of reading, and whenever I see the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, would always think it would be out there somewhere. But in reality, most of the teaching, and we'll see this in this series, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about here and now. And what I've learned in studying this kingdom terminology and theology is the importance of seeing that, yes, we want to take as many people to heaven with us as possible. But ultimately, the way that we do that is by living as if heaven has come to earth because it has. And ultimately, it will. This is what I call kingdom-centered living. It's a kingdom perspective. It's it's like a press box perspective, okay? Our our, our Texans fell a little bit short yesterday. They still went further than the Cowboys, all right? Now, um, in fact, I saw saw a picture. Somebody put this on uh, uh, Twitter or X. They found pictures of the Cowboys' old Super Bowl. It's a floppy disk. Some of our young people don't even know what that is. That's how long ago it was. Here's the thing, coaches will go up in the press box so that they can see a better picture of what's going on. Well, when we talk about kingdom living, we've gotta get up into the press box and see this from a a big picture standpoint. And that's what I wanna do as we transition into the next part of this message. I just wanna show you from Genesis, really throughout the Bible, this kingdom language. And I want to start in Genesis chapter one. God creates man. And just listen to this kingship language. Don't miss this. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. And let them have, what? Dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Kingship language, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And we know what happens. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they are to advance 
his kingdom, his garden-type living all over the world. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. But we know what happens, sin enters. And when sin enters, Adam and Eve decide, I don't wanna live for God the king and advance his kingdom, we're gonna do what we wanna do. And that's exactly what sin is. Sin is not just rebellion against God, it is replacement of God. God, you're no longer on the throne. You're no longer king of my life. I no longer do what you have to tell me to do. I'm putting myself there. And as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, they don't advance the kingdom of God via the garden. They are kicked out of the garden. And the only thing they advance is sin. Because we inherited, all of us, an imputed unrighteousness, a sin nature that doesn't want God on the throne of our hearts. We want to be the sinner. That is the essence of sin. And if you look at the Old Testament, God continues to be with his people. He raises up Abraham, who ultimately becomes Israel, and he gives to Israel the law and the prophets and to Israel, he gives them the temple. So in the garden, they have the very presence of God walking with them, and they reject that. They stiff arm that. God raises up Israel, and he gives them his presence in the temple, and they stiff arm that. He sends prophets to, to tell them to, to turn from their ways and to receive God and his presence into their life. And they stiff arm that so much so that by the time of the New Testament, 400 years have passed and not a word from God. His presence is gone. So then Jesus comes on the scene. God says, I'll send my son to be physically with them. Will they embrace his kingship? No. The Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not because his kingship didn't look like what they were looking, didn't appear as what they were looking for. They wanted an earthly ruler, a military ruler, Alexander the Great kind of leader to come on and deliver them from Roman occupation and establish an earthly rule. That's what they wanted. But Jesus, he didn't, he didn't lead like that. And when he stands before Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36, and Pilate says, are you a king? Jesus says, I've got a king, kingdom, but it's not of this world. And so the people who have rejected God from the beginning reject even his son, God in the flesh. No king of theirs is going to wear a crown. No king of theirs is gonna go to a cross and die. And yet even then, even then, the advancement of the kingdom continues. How, why? Because Jesus doesn't stay dead. He is raised to life, championing sin and death forever. And when followers begin to follow him and give their life to him, he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to live in them. And look at this, don't miss this. When God comes to live in us, this is where the kingdom project takes off because man and woman created in his image, made from the dust of the ground, they're a little bit of earth, but when God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives in them, they are a little bit of heaven. And so heaven and earth collide in man and woman made in his image.
And so, what happens? We become kingdom citizens, and it is our job to be emissaries, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, Jesus regained in the garden where he was raised to life. And that great commission, fill the earth and subdue it, Adam and Eve couldn't accomplish it, but Jesus did. And how does he accomplish it? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Listen to the kingship language. Jesus came and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He is the reigning king. And so he tells his disciples, you go into the world and you make disciples, fill the earth, subdue it. You are my witnesses to expand my rule and reign. And he says, you make disciples, baptizing them, because baptism, the reason baptism is so important is it reveals you are a kingdom citizen. When you say, I am following you, Jesus, I want to be a citizen of your kingdom, you are marked, just as they were in the Old Testament with a physical circumcision, you are marked in the waters of baptism. That's why it's so important. He says, you go into the world, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so as kingdom citizens, his emissaries, his ambassadors, the kingdom project, our job is to bring heaven to earth. And in that, the way that we live, the way that we treat people, the way that our attitudes, our actions, we should be living to give people a foretaste of the kingdom. They should see our lives and say, I want to be a part of that. And we invite them in to the kingdom of God. The question is, are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you a member of the kingdom? You don't get the abundant life Jesus promised, and you don't get eternal life, i.e. life in the kingdom, apart from being a citizen of the kingdom. And so, very important question to answer today, how does one become a citizen of the kingdom? Well, Jesus answers this in a conversation in John chapter three. And he answers it talking to a man named Nicodemus. Now let me set some context for you. Nicodemus is a learned man. He is a brilliant scholar from a, from a spiritual standpoint. He is a religious leader. He knows the law of God backwards and forwards. He's prominent, he's well known, and evidently he is familiar with Jesus's ministry, okay? Now, if you wanna know what the final and full, complete kingdom of God is gonna look like, uh, you, it, it's revealed in two ways. First is what I just mentioned. Uh, if we want to know what the final and full kingdom is going to look like, we ought to be able to look at kingdom citizens and see it. Okay? Our lives. Lifestyle evangelism. People ought to see that and go, that's, that's what the future kingdom looks like. People that are doing that. People that are investing in that. People that are acting like that. But a second way to know what the final and full kingdom is look like is, is to look at the life of Jesus. He was the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And what did that look like? Well, when you look at Jesus's ministry, what, what did you see? You saw oppression gone. You saw people delivered from the demonic. You saw the lame healed. 
You saw the dead raised. You saw joy. You saw the will of God done perfectly and completely. This is future life in the future kingdom. Well, Nicodemus had gotten a glimpse of this. He had seen signs Jesus was doing. And he knew there was something different about him. And the Bible says he comes to Nicodemus in the night. We don't know why he did it at night. It could have been that he would have been embarrassed being a religious leader coming to, you know, talk to this street preacher. So he's trying to protect his reputation. It could be that he just wanted privacy with Jesus because Jesus was busy during the day. He He was doing these signs and these wonders. We don't know why, but he comes to Jesus in the night. And he has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells him how he can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. John chapter three, starting in verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, very respectful. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, you read the scriptures through the lens of the kingdom. They were looking for the kingdom of God. They were waiting on it. That's why they they discarded Jesus, because it wasn't what they were looking for, but they wanted the kingdom. And here Jesus is healing and his earthly ministry revealing that he is otherworldly. And Nicodemus knows it. And he says, you know, what's going on here? And Jesus cuts to the chase and he answers a question that's really in Nicodemus's heart. Look at what he says in verse three. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, you're onto something. You are right to see that I am different, that I am the Messiah, the King. But listen, how do you get into the kingdom of God? It's not gonna be your intellect. It's not gonna be your knowledge of God, not how good you are, how many times you come to church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter seven, some of the scariest verses in scripture, Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You gotta do something else than just lip service. Jesus says, you must be born again. Commentator Leon Morris puts it like this. In one sentence, Jesus sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for and demands that he be remade by the power of God. You want to be a citizen of heaven? You want to know for sure that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you born again? What does that even mean? Nicodemus wanted to know the same question. Look at verse four. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you must be born again, cleansed, forgiven, made new. And Jesus, what he's doing in his goodness and grace to Nicodemus is he's using language that Nicodemus as a man learned in the scriptures would have known. This language that he uses about water and renewal and spiritual cleansing is lifted straight out of the prophet Ezekiel where Ezekiel prophesies that when the Messiah shows up, when the king is on the scene, that there will be given to people a new spirit and a new heart 
And there would be renewal and spiritual cleansing taking place. And this being born again is not so much physical as it is spiritual. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, Nicodemus, being born again, it's not something that you can conjure up on your own. It's like the wind blows where it wishes. And it's not something that you can explain. It must be experienced. To be born again is the greatest miracle that God performs. And Jesus, he walks Nicodemus through this Old Testament story Again, just meeting him where, where he's at, and that's what Jesus does, man. If you're here this morning, and you're going, man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around, I just want you to know God, he will take you right where you are, and he, he starts right where you are and gets you to where you need to be. You just keep coming. You just keep listening to God's word, and he'll begin to teach you these things. I promise you he will. You just open yourself up. Say, God, I want to know. Because what he does is he tells a story out of Numbers chapter 21. Again, just using a language and story that Nicodemus would have known backwards and forwards. And it culminates with Jesus telling him in John chapter 3 verse 15. Nicodemus, whoever believes in him, Jesus, will have eternal life. Will be a citizen of the kingdom. When we believe by faith, not just with our heads, with our hearts. That Jesus is the king. And then he left the throne room of heaven and he came to earth. And this king, he wore a crown, but it was a crown of thorns. And he went to a cross. And he died on a cross for our sins. And he was raised to life. When we believe this message with our heart, that it's, it's that sacrificial death of Jesus that forgives us of our sins and makes us right with God. And we humbly come to him and say, Jesus, I want to be a kingdom citizen. I want you enthroned on my heart. It's at this point that you are born again and become a member of the kingdom of God. And so I ask you, are you a citizen of the kingdom? Last week I was in California, I was speaking at an event, and it just so happened to be three of my four girls' birthdays, okay? The twins had a birthday, my middle had a birthday, and so being out in California where I was speaking, the event was at Disneyland, I thought to be a good dad, I'm bringing the family out here on their birthdays, okay? And so I would speak in the morning and then meet up with them uh, after, and I had the time of my life. Usually I'm in a really bad mood at Disney, all right? Too many people, it's hot. Uh, matter of fact, Debbie has a nickname for me around the house when I'm in a bad mood. She's like, oh, it's Disney Jarrett. He's here, okay? I mean, that's her nickname for me when I'm in a bad mood. But it was out in California. The weather was great. Hooded sweatshirt. And I, man, I'm reading on this kingdom stuff and getting ready for this series. And as we're walking into Disneyland, if you've ever been there, uh, here's a picture of uh, Disneyland. And you walk under this tunnel right here. And you see that sign right above the tunnel? Uh, as you're walking in, here's the sign. Here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and of fantasy. Just keep that sign up because when I walk through there, you walk through there and, and you really are transported into a different place. You get through that sign right there and it opens up and there's old school Main Street. And you keep walking and down to the right is Tomorrowland and there's this big castle there in the middle. I mean, it is a kingdom. It is a different kingdom. And I'm, I'm studying all this about the kingdom of God, and I look at that sign, I'm thinking, you know what? That, that's, that's our life. You know, when, we, when you're born again, 
When you enter into the kingdom of God, you leave today and you enter the world of yesterday. You're a part of what God originally established in the Garden of Eden. And you're a part of the world tomorrow because there is a final kingdom coming where we will live and rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever on a new earth. And it would be a world of fantasy because Paul said when we are with Jesus forever, heaven on earth is what we're waiting on. He says, no eye can see, nor mind can imagine, nor heart has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. And so here's the question, champion, for us. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? You must be born again. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.